namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa uttang dhammang sankhamsam So it's a significant day on our calendar, it's the end of Asa. We had the Pavarna this morning where we made an uh, invitation for reflection and nourishment. And as I was saying to the Sangha this morning, we've had a chance to um, create a lot of wholesome kamma. We've, we've lived together according to Dhamma Sometimes it seems a very, very obvious thing, but not many people actually are living in that way. We studied the Vinaya, we studied our own minds. Um, we've worked hard to provide food and take people to doctors and go shopping and balance accounts and organize work. and. We've created friendships. I don't think we've created much enmity. We've had disagreements, but we've always worked to uh, go beyond the kind of static nature of disagreements. We've cared for sick bhikkhus. We've rejoiced at happy bhikkhus. Um, and you can think of the old. You know, in your own way, you can think of the, all the wholesome things that have taken place during this time. And to, to always uh, kind of remember the larger context of, of our life here. Because the more narrow context, sometimes it's just the particular uh, inner problems you might be facing. Um, annoyances or uh, painful bodily predicaments or doubts about your own capacities and abilities, self-doubts, or whatever it might be. And, and those can sometimes be very uh, kind of dominant themes because they're sort of foremost in, in your consciousness. But, but actually, to always look at that larger thing, the way we're living, that we're keeping precepts, that we're living by the uh, Vinaya precepts of the Buddha is very refined, that we're um, living according to the, the hierarchy that we're asked to live in. We're uh, giving up our personal preferences and doing, being responsible for whatever we're asked to do. Um, so this is, uh, this is quite wonderful. It's quite a good thing to reflect on. <coughs> This, this part of our life during the Vasas, uh, although in Thailand it's, it's a retreat time, uh, for us it's a very fraternal time, a very communal time, there's much to do. Summer is a time a lot can get done. Uh, the Chemical has a really good vision of all the things that need to be accomplished, and uh, we're all tremendously grateful for that. Um, Books, 
the books, the books, the books, the balance, the balance books. So we're tremendously grateful to Ramana Siri for keeping on to that one. And Anagarpas feed us and drive, and Yaraso does that, and Venerable Ajahn Pavro keeps me happy in the workshop. Chakaro could fix anything, and Sirimedo is a great carpenter, and so we can feel uh, it's good to to realize the good qualities of each other without making it a kind of Oscar ceremony. <laughs> and the Vasa, who was the best bhikkhu, or who made the best lap joint, or something like that. It's not, because it's, it's not about ego, it's about appreciation. And we have the capacity to appreciate each other's uh, goodness. We have that capacity to appreciate, uh, also to be irritated as mm-hmm. uh, each other's uh, um, character, personality. So both are there. Our critical faculty can certainly find fault, and our uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. We can admonish each other. Um, and necessary, but also that we can we can appreciate how hard this monastic life really is. It's not it's not easy. Uh, it can look easy from the outside because it looks kind of easy, doesn't it? We get room and board, and the rest of drives us here, there, and everywhere. Piece of cake. But of course, the, the the challenge of this life is that it stops the capacity to. Um, Distract stops the capacity to make choices and based upon a lot of your own preferences. So within the gift that we're given of, of the four the four requisites within that gift, um, uh, our giving to getting back to it is the sense of giving up to it. The sense of okay, this is the situation. These are the parameters. These are the people I live with. Uh, this is the weather. This is the environment. This is the kuti I have. This is where I sit in the hierarchy, and these are my responsibilities, and and I'll give up to that. That's my vehicle. That's what I'm going to uh, travel in and observe the nature of liking and disliking, the nature of success and failure, the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. So the freedom we're given uh, by being given the four requisites by the lay people, it's not the freedom of, of choice. Although we have some choice, obviously, not the freedom of kind of consumer choice, uh, but we're given the freedom to observe within those uh, quite tight boundaries that we are asked to live in. And that's a particular kind of freedom. Freedom to choose isn't usually a freedom, it's just a, a seeming kind of freedom that is just driven by greed and illusion. Sometimes it's not, oftentimes it is. Um, so this, this freedom to observe the way things are, the, the way I uh, relate to someone, how I like someone, don't like someone. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the beauty of this life, is that we're not asked to like each other. We're just asked to be respectful to each other. We're not, we're not asked to, 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 to be a fan of anyone. We're just asked to be um, kind and compassionate and uh, exercise goodwill towards each other. And goodwill is not liking, it's not disliking either. It's just a, it's an aspect of the heart which uh, um, 
is bigger than liking or disliking. And that's very important to, 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 to get that clear, isn't it? So I can certainly at times feel irritated by someone or, or uh, uh, frightened of someone or jealous of someone or whatever it might be. Uh, but I can always wish them goodwill. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a skill that we're constantly developing in Sangha, aren't we? Um, we come together, we come together in a ritual, uh, we chat together, we chatted at the Pavarana this morning, it was lovely. And, and those rituals are, are, it's quite easy to be harmonious in a ritual, unless all the voices are really messed up. But we have good voices now, I'm a series of good chanted and city made on. So our voice carries us and we harmonize and, and we have these, this kind of ritual theater that we do called Theravada Buddhism, puja and chanting. This is quite lovely, it brings us together. But it's not fraternal. Because we can, we can uh, leave the space of this kind of religious dance we do, the dance of ritual, and um, not be connected to each other, not want to be connected to each other, um, uh, feel alienated from each other. So it's not, it's a part of our tradition. Ritual is a beautiful part, but there are many, many more elements. So we've had this chance during Svasa to do our heart meetings, and that's the, you know, that's the attempt to develop a more fraternal feeling to each other, trying to minimize the hierarchy. It's a very strong hierarchy, and as Westerners, we're not quite used to that, maybe. Um, maybe even Amr Sears more used to it from his culture, but our culture uh, can seem very foreign, these strong hierarchies, but they exist and work. Um, so that heart meeting that we've been having, it's an attempt to create more sense of uh, fraternal um, camaraderie. It's, some, it's not really possible, 100%. I'm much older than most of you, closer to Venerable Pavro and Venerable Kimiko. Um, I'm more Pansa, so I'm very senior and all that. So there'll always be a sense of deference, which is okay. And that, that's a part of our life, is how do, we, how do we do authority and fraternity? How do we do, uh, how do, we do authority well? Because there is that in the Sangha. And there's that in life. How do, we, how, we, how do we do leadership well? And how do we do fellowship well? Um, authority changes in, in Sangha life according to circumstance, according to responsibility, according to seniority, according to capacity. It's not a fixed thing. Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, malleable and flexible, but it has its place. Because if we didn't have uh, someone, you know, sitting here talking or taking the meal first or whatever, we'd have to have a democratic vote every morning or something. So we have, we have both fraternity, but we have authority too. And we have seniority. And these are these are the elements of our monastic life, which we are trying to understand. How as Westerners, uh, how can we do this? We get insights from someone like Enrobo Siri who has it more in his culture. But perhaps he gets things from us, how we do things, I don't know. Um, but uh, like uh, as Westerners we have 
we, we, have, a, we have a very egalitarian culture. Everyone's kind of equal, uh, which has its place. Uh, but the, and in Thailand, much more hierarchical, very strong hierarchies. And, and so I think we're trying to find some kind of middle way for us in, in the West. And so it's an experiment. This whole Western Buddhism thing is a kind of experiment. How are we going to do this? And that uh, that openness of, of um, conferring with each other and, and, and indicating where um, things just don't seem right, we converse about through the Vinaya. And it, what this morning was it? Yesterday, during the uh, yeah, yesterday at the heart meeting, we had a good talking about upatak and how that's seen in Thailand and how we, some of us receive that. And these are very healthy discussions because that means that we're not just sectarian, we're not just mimicking Thailand and trying to do things a Thai way. We're, we're kind of trying to be authentic and, and say, well, what is, as Westerners, how, how can we live this bhikkhu life? Because although we have the Vinaya and we have models from Thailand, we also have models from Abhaigiri and, and uh, Amaravati and, and, and so on, and then we have our own needs here, and this is a this is this is very uh, it, 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 what it does. It, you can't really hold a position with all this. If you do, you're not going to create any kind of harmony. You're just going to create fear, I suppose. But if if it's held in a way of well, what works? What what are the what are the uh, Vinaya recommendations? What are the great standards? And, and who are we as Westerners, and what works and what doesn't work. Um, and that kind of dialogue, that kind of consideration keeps us from becoming too uh, parochial, too narrow. Because um, personally, I didn't ordain to be a Buddhist. You know, I don't, and I don't, um, I love, I love the sasana, but I didn't ordain to somehow be exclusively one mode. And so, uh, to see that there are other forms, other forms of monasticism, other forms of religiosity, other forms of spiritual um, endeavor. And this is our particular way, so it's neither right nor wrong. And that kind of sectarianism that arises in culture, so uh, that's Silabhata Paramasa, the kind of conceit that our way is the only way. And it's a very fearful state of mind. But to kind of be, be totally... Um, what is it to be kind of um, so this so un uh, unstructured and unformed that it becomes a kind of anarchy that's not our way either we do have form we do have structure um, and to do that well means to do authority well to do fraternity well to do ritual well these are these are different ways that we try to live together and do this this work of uh, liberation. Of course, included in, in, our, um, in our lifestyle is solitude. And, um, during the Vasa, during the summer, solitude is not uh, a big piece of our life. It is. We do have spaces, but we've had bhikkhus uh, living in the bhikkhu viharas. That's not very private for them. Much, uh, solitude there. So the solitary part of our life is, is coming up, will be the winter retreat. And uh, solitude brings forth different challenges to fraternity. Um, 
And so during this period of Vasa, we really emphasized how, how, do we, how do we live together? How do we communicate together? Uh, what is, uh, how do we hold views and opinions which uh, fracture us? And how do we let go of uh, uh, narrow perceptions? How do we communicate discord? How do we make that conscious uh, that we disagree and yet not let it go to some kind of horrible position taking and, and animosity and so on. So we, we stress this kind of coming together and trying to do it well uh, for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of the monastery, for the sake of our community that comes here. And I think we've done that very well myself. I think we've done it very well. Um, again, that's not that's just what I feel. <laughs> um, and then solitude is also terribly important in, in, in our life. And, and the winter retreat is that we're, we're now going to, and I'm, I'm speaking of this because I'll be soon gone and I won't be able to be with you to introduce the retreat. But um, Sir Venable Chemical will be introducing the retreat. And uh, so I'm very grateful to him for allowing me to go to Asia and make those connections. But do, do um, do be, do be very diligent in in your times of solitude because they're rare, they're rare and precious, and they and they bring forth different challenges, as I say. Um, on one hand, you could you could uh, we had one monk here who was very um, diligent into making lists of what he's going to achieve during the uh, winter retreat. And it was down. He had a he showed me his schedule. He had it down to every 10 minutes what he was going to do. I thought he was crazy. <laughs> you, you, and there, was, there was absolutely no sense of ease in this, 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 this uh, high-octane uh, becoming, uh, doing, uh, achieving, uh, structuring. <laughs> and I laughed. And he, I think he saw. But that's one extreme of just having a mind and thinking, this retreat, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to get that done, I'm going to achieve the jhanas, and I'll get at least anagami, and, and then I'll do this, and I'll do that, or I'll memorize this, and I'll get that. So because I have a kind of achieving mind, very much bhavatanha, becoming. That's one extreme. The other extreme as well, I'll just, I'll just uh, chill out, just look at the snow, and... Uh, yeah, have a cup of coffee every now and then, I'll just chill out and relax. That's all right if you have strong samadhi, if you have a strong foundation, but it can be uh, a roadway to, to, to despair and depression, actually, because if you get too passive uh, on a winter retreat, if you get too chilly, if you get too passive, and, and all will be right, you don't put any structure into it, you find your mind will spin into habit. And when the mind starts to spin into habit, where does it go? It goes to sexual fantasy, it goes to depression, it goes to, you know, not major things, but it certainly doesn't go to samadhi. And so you can, you can uh, fritter away a whole month of the winter retreat by just uh, not, having, not having focus. You can go crazy with focus and be so determined you, you know, burn yourself out and be a total nuisance to everyone else. You can have no focus and just you know, spend your time walking around, cleaning your kuti, sitting down, just sort of fritting your life away with no, no focus, no samadhi. Middle way, middle way depends on the character, but middle way is that you do 
um, develop samadhi. You do take time to develop a form of meditation, uh, that you do take time to develop ways of samadhi, such as uh, learning chanting, so uh, suggesting to Sita William, uh, why don't you learn a Patimukha? <laughs> then I downgraded it to the uh, Dhammachaka Sutta. <laughs> I frightened him with a Patimukha. But who knows, maybe he'll do it. But what happens when you do that, when you take on, like you have this three-month span, and you put no structure into it, the, 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 it's very easy just to kind of drift, just to drift and sleep a bit too much, and hang out a bit too much, and just kind of go for walks, and, and uh, there's no sharpness, no ujup, no ujupitipa, no that. So, but picking something up which requires uh, some uh, fortitude, some, um, some aditana, some determination, some sustained effort is, is very important. And that you have to design yourself. Because the idea of our, our winter retreats is that you don't have structure. There's no one helping you. And there's no one there to, uh, to carry you. And, and the rest of the year, the form carries you. So we try to see ourselves in both of these uh, um, situations, social situations. So solitude, for those who, who enjoy solitude and who are anxious in the company of human beings, it's great, they love it. But so they have to learn in our more fraternal situations. And those who are very gregarious and, and active and like to be with people, and if they find uh, being alone difficult, well, they also learn, don't they? So our, our life is that, in a 12-year in a cycle, we're trying to see, how, how am I in this situation and that situation? Uh, and learning from both. So again, I have seen people go, like they say, they're, they're, they're kind of, I'm gonna, I, I wanna do a retreat, I wanna do a retreat, okay, go do a retreat, Chithurst Forest, do a retreat. And the guy, Sangari Sesa, after a month, because he got depressed and the only avenue he had was uh, Sangari Sesa. And that was uh, not understanding that actually he didn't have the strength to be alone. So it takes a lot of, um, yeah, strength, isn't it? To, to be alone and do that well. So, the, what are the ways you might structure uh, the winter retreat? Well, uh, again, if, you, if, you, if your sense of clarity is strong and you can sustain the awakened mind, then it doesn't really matter so much. But usually that's not the case, so what can you do? You can take on a... Uh, really make develop the habit of sustained formal practice and using the four classic postures sitting, standing, walking, lying down there's something about um, practicing with a formal posture that is, is uh, very conducive to both seeing where your head's at uh, and also s developing uh, strong awareness through time, through sustained time because the formal posture is one where you have to hold it. So whether you're doing walking meditation back and forth, you have to hold that posture, which is 20 paces, uh, which has a beginning and an end, and is always defining your practice for you. So as opposed to going for a long walk, long walks are great, and I certainly suggested during the winter to keep fit and to keep the oxygen levels high or whatever, 
But going for a long walk is, is hasn't got the focus of formal practice. And so in Theravada Buddhism, we stress that a lot. These times of formal practice are, are very important in our in our life. So I, I realize the winter vortex can be a bit challenging, but um, don't worry about it. Do it. Go for it. Um, so sometimes we'll like we'll do uh, walking practice indoors. That's fine, but do it for an hour. Don't just do it for five minutes and say, "Well, that's it. That's I've done my formal practice." No, there's something about like doing a whole hour back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then sitting for a whole hour, and then walking back and forth, back and forth, and then sitting, and then walking and sitting, and that's a pattern that's very important in our forest tradition. That pattern, and the winter retreat is very much our opportunity because the lay people take care of us and, and fulfill our, our uh, offer us the four requisites and are very kind to do that. We have this special, special, special time. So, so be, right, right, right from the get-go, from whenever, whenever chemical decides to start that winter retreat, right from the get-go, make your mind strong. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And that's not a sense of becoming. So you don't do formal practice so you can become whatever, because it's not about becoming, it's about awakening. That's the heart of our life. It's the awakened mind, and and you know if you're doing walking practice and your mind drifts off at the end of the at the end of the walking path, you notice because you're stopped. Oh yeah, here here I am. You awaken, and then you start walking the other way, and halfway through you're daydreaming, and then bang, you hit the other end. You awaken, you awaken, you awaken. If you keep doing this, you keep keep encouraging the awakened mind because that's what will free you. That's it, will free you. And then you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it anymore, then do it. It's cold, that's fine, do it. You know, kind of challenge yourself in, 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 in some kind of way where, it's, where it is a bit difficult. Because if you push yourself just a bit, not in a way where you hurt yourself, you feel good. You've, you've, you've taken, taken something gone beyond your usual boundaries of, of you know, kind of, kind of marginal laziness we can all get into gone a bit further, you've sat a bit more, you've walked a bit more, you've done a bit more Anapanasati, you've picked up a theme of Metabhavana and you've really worked with it. That's very rewarding. It's, it gives you a good sense of purpose and, and uh, you feel like you're really earning your own food. Whereas if you don't, if you don't put that kind of effort forth, you don't, you feel like you're cheating. You do, don't you? You know, well, these people are working hard and feeding me and, and I'm just sort of slacking off. And then you feel guilty, and then that guilty leads to kind of depression, and then that can lead to lustful things and so on. The mind then doesn't like the depression, it starts to create lustful thoughts because that's exciting and interesting, and your whole retreat is down too. So, <laughs> you don't want to go there. And that happens, that's what happens. People don't put effort forth, or don't know how to put effort forth, they just don't know how to do it, or they have all the depression come up, and they get caught in it, and then they go to some excitement. And then they're just lost in the objective uh, experience. That's not the awakened mind. So, so do do consider like consider your own character, um, and and this this pattern of formal practice for for many hours at a time is is something that Ajahn Chah encouraged. It's something that I've always um, I did did a lot my early years. And, and, a good run of five, six hours is really should be quite easy for you. No problem. After lunch, what else you got to do? And 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 uh, obviously, like like Siri Medu has 
his illness and ours who have their illnesses, so these are, these are not... So I, don't, I don't want people to push themselves and then we have to hospitalize them. That's not the point of it. So if you have sickness, then you have a whole practice there in itself. It's much, much different and, and it heads off to you. But if you have strength uh, and you have vitality, use that, use that well. Because who knows? Who knows? The kick may bite you. <laughs> I hope not. And, and so aditana, or determination, is a skill uh, that we are, are encouraged to develop. And that, it's not like setting your mind on, on a certain theme that you want to look at, in your own mind maybe, or setting your mind on, on a particular um, posture you want to develop. Or, there's many ways you can do that, just the discipline of yoga, or, or qigong, or, or, or it might be... Um, like learning the Dhamma Chakra Sutta. There's so many ways we, we can do that in this life. But it's different, you know, like taking a, take a, taking a chunk of work and say, yeah, I'm going to really do this for a period of time. It's different than just kind of dibbling and dabbing and, and uh, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So the, the try to see, see if you can find that balance between being just sort of passive waiting for the clock to go by, and being overly aggressive and, and willful and, and the bhavatana is very, very strong, and finding a middle way. And what the middle way should be is that the awakened mind is sustained for long periods of time in whatever posture. So what is the awakened mind? It's the knowing of the way things are. And so satisampajanya, mindfulness and quick comprehension, uh, using the three characteristics this is the way that we we are encouraged from our teachings to come to the awakened mind. So you're feeling um, upset about something, you're feeling cold. It's, it's like this. And it's changing. What's the changing nature? You're constantly awakening the mind. And the awakened mind is not a thought. It's not a, it's not a, it's not an opinion. Uh, it's not a mood. It knows. It's the knowing. And it's very important to realize that's, that's the real central core of whatever we do, whether we're doing samadha practice or we're just uh, chopping vegetables. That's the real core of our work. To, you know, some people really like to do lots of samadha work, some find it too, too constrained in some way, but you do, you do need to find out how to abandon the hindrances. That's it. A uh, very necessary part of developing the mind. So, uh, be very careful of dullness and sloth and torpor. Uh, uh, if you find that you are trying to meditate and you're in a hot room, open the windows, put snow in your face. Um, uh, don't get too passive with the sitting. Sometimes monks can get really good at falling asleep in the cross-legged posture. And uh, it feels all right. So if you see, like, look at your body, get body awareness. See how strong is your body? Can it sit? And if you're falling asleep, don't sit. Walk for two hours. Walk for three hours. And really, uh, put a lot of effort in. Um, and then see where that takes you. See, see what that does when you when you really um, put forth that kind of effort. It's it's it's, um, it's beautiful. You know, if, if you've ever done sport and you have a good coach and the coach really works you, it really makes you do wind sprints and uh, 
dribble with your left hand rather than your right hand, and, and you, you kind of feel awkward and you don't like it, but at the end of it, you think, well, thank you. You know, that, that made me stronger, made me a better athlete. So, in a, you know, once you're a cheat, you really have to be your own coach, because um, we're all doing our own work, and you know, none of us wants to go walking around checking you out. Um, but if you make strong determinations to awaken, what would help you to awaken? That's a determination has to be based on what, what kind of things could I do, considering my own character, my own moods, um, the way I operate, what kind of things would be helpful to sustain the awakened mind? And what kind of things do I have to be careful of? It would always, it would, it would tend to drag me down to the old habits of complaining, or, or self-doubt, or, or lust, or whatever it might be. How do those kinds of habitual enslavements, how do they manifest? And what, what might I do to awaken to them and uh, not let them uh, dominate consciousness? So for each of us, it's very individual, isn't it? We're all, we've all got our own karma, our own situations, and things we're going to want to learn from. So the the, uh, the vasa has ended. Uh, endings are usually well. Endings are this way. Endings condition beginnings. Uh, and the vasa is usually quite understated, um, but what you want to find, of course, is that which is, does not end, does not begin. Emotions arise and cease. The day ends, the day begins. Winter comes, winter goes. The vasa ends. Katina comes, it goes. So there's this movement, there's this constant movement, this, this sort of like a like a wave going into the shore and then bouncing back, waves coming in and bouncing back off the shore. And there's that which is unmoving, that which is not conditioned. What's that about? And that's the awakened mind, isn't it? That's, that's, our, that's our, uh, our real home. Uh, and our aspiration is just to remember that. And that, that's not a becoming. Remembering the way things are is not a becoming, it's a recollection. Sati Sampajanya, it's like this. So even if you feel, uh, like during the winter retreat, even if you really blow it and you sleep 13 hours, and then you go back and sleep for 16 hours, and then you overeat, uh, <laughs> and then whatever you do, you can always say, wow, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> you can say, I, I think I, I think I won't sleep so much, or I think I put more effort in. Or you can hate yourself. <laughs> you can hate yourself. That's not going to help. You can rationalize. You can say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a delicate thing. I really need to do this, this, that, and that. You can rationalize, but the awakened mind knows. It just knows. So, what kind of things you do? How strong does it make the awakened mind? The kind of moods you follow, how much does it strengthen the sense of ego and self? The kind of narratives your mind goes into, how much does it create self and other? The kinds of samatha practices you do, how much does it create the awakened mind which is not self and other? 
These are the questions you're constantly using to monitor your own practice. Not as a judgment, not as a judgment, but rather as an awakening to... So what narratives in, in your own mind create me and you, self and other, time? Uh, what, what kind of thoughts take you there? And what do you need to do to awaken to that? Not go there. Put it down, let go. Not pick it up. Not get, not get reborn into those patterns. Only you can know. Only you can know. And some patterns are, are, are insidious. They're, they're, they're just so powerful. They keep, keep grabbing attention, keep taking center stage, and keep overwhelming you. And that's where the perseverance is so important. The, 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 the determination, no matter what, no matter how difficult it is, I'm going to awaken to this now. And the mind grabs you and, and throws you for a loop and pins you down on a full Nelson. <laughs> and then you notice it and you're up again. And again and again and again. It can, it can seem like a real battle, but if you realize that the awakened mind can know all things, and that's the secret. The secret isn't to be a nice person. It's, it's helpful. <laughs> or the secret isn't to be healthy. It's helpful. The secret isn't to, to be uh, perfect in some kind of worldly way. The secret is the awakened mind, which knows perfection and imperfection, like and dislike. So even if you if you're just feeling averse to everyone for the whole three months, somehow you just get slugged by waves and waves of aversion. Well, that's what you have to work with. Aversion is this way, or lust, or self-doubt. So the mood itself is not important, but it's the papancha, the creation of self around the mood that, that needs to be awakened to. So countering a mood with another, a self mood with another mood, I'm no good, I'm a terrible person, I must do this and I must do that, is not the awakened mind, it's the deluded mind. But awakening is, is like this, it's silent, it has no structure, it has no narrative, it has no kind of these definitions. All thoughts, you know, really creates a self and other, all the, the structures that we have, but our Sutta to Bahia, in the scene, there should be just the scene, that, that, that pure awakened mind who just knows before all the definitions and thought. We need thought, we need to plan, we need to organize, we need to have um, uh, ways of doing things. But in, in a winter retreat, what you really get a chance is to take that perspective of anatta. You can take the perspective now of flow of consciousness rather than um, individual responsibility and self-definition around responsibility, that's necessary, but especially during the winter retreat when there is really so uh, little to be done, you can, you can really, really hone in on anatta and say this is just a flow, it arises and ceases, arises and ceases. And, and take that perspective, in perspective, you know, if, you, if you're doing, um, if you're working with Fusion 360 or something, SketchUp, your perspective, and you can look at, if you look at an object, you can look at the top, you can look at the bottom, and you look from the side, one side, right side, that's perspective, isn't it? And the perspective of liberation is that this experience is in awareness, that the body is in awareness, that these things arise and cease in awareness, and that perspective 
And what that perspective does, it takes you to that place which is very hard to get to, this, that this body is a natural body and you are not embodied in that. That's not who you really are. There is awareness of that. That the body is something that arises and ceases, the emotions arise and cease in awareness. And getting these perspectives of non-grasping or anatta or emptiness, whatever ways we talk about it, um, are, are, are they're very subtle kind of perspectives. They're not obvious. At first, you don't really know what, what it means. But if you keep cultivating them, and, and there's many ways to cultivate those perspectives of non-grasping, just the word non-grasping, or uh, anicca, when you, when you contemplate, you, you recollect uncertainty or change. To do that, you have to be in a, in a place of non-grasping. If you're trying to change something, you're grasping. But to get to recollect anicca is the perspective of non-grasping. Anatta is a perspective of non-grasping. Dukkha, it's not there, can't be a condition, is the perspective. It's in awareness is the perspective, or the, this is empty of self is the perspective. And 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 con- continually re- recollecting that is quite hard to do, because our usual perspective is self-view, attachment self-identity, self-doubt, guilt, fantasizing, romanticizing, blah, blah, blah. And that's all through narrative, self-narrative, and thought. But the awakened mind is not a thought. Personality is a thought. Self is a thought. But the awakened mind is suchness. And, and, and that perspective is really what we're trying to do when we talk about bhavana. Samadhi helps. Uh, sila helps. Panya helps, yeah? and and then bhavana is this sustained awakening, sustained awakening, not not just a kind of one-off awakening. You might think that, oh yeah, if I really practice hard, then I'll get to some point, and my head will blow open, and I, you know, I have no more dukkha. Well, good luck. <laughs> but the perspective of of not becoming is awakening. So it's not like you're going anywhere with the winter retreat. But you, it's you coming back to here, to presence, to not-self, to emptiness. These different ways that we talk about it. So it's a, it's a lovely, lovely opportunity we have. And um, to, to use it well would be... Uh, to not use it well would be a disservice, wouldn't it? To not, to not realize how valuable this is. And that would be a disservice to the laity that support us. It would be a disservice to our parents, to our teachers, to not use it well. That's not to scare you, but <laughs> more to, to, to motivate you to, to realize this is this human birth is valuable, this opportunity to practice in this way is invaluable, and, and that uh, the, the, more we, the more we do that, it's interesting also, like solitude can create incredible camaraderie. If you've, if you've really worked at your practice, you've really done good work, you, you, you feel good with the other, other monks. If you haven't, if you've just sloped off, you don't want to see another monk. Because it reminds you, well, yeah, that's why I get this alms food. I don't want to see the brown girl. But if you've really, you know, really sustained a strong effort and worked very hard, then can it connect in a different way, a way of uh, heartfelt aspiration?
All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. Andamayangu Bhadatamakataya Sadhukarandatamasi Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu.